have no idea how you follow that, but we're going to try. We're going to try. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, really glad you decided to join us today, especially if you're a guest. We're honored you decided to be here with us, and we're in a series uh, looking at what Jesus teaches us about um, having a bigger life, uh, about the kingdom of God, and um, so I'm really glad you decided to be here. I want to give you, just before we read our scripture today, uh, we'll stand to do that in just a moment, just uh, two really quick things that you can be a part of. Aaron mentioned both of them, but I just want to highlight them. One is this uh, Friday, uh, Friday afternoon and then into Saturday, we have what's called a Marriage Enrichment Weekend, and we're bringing um, Michael and Jen Downs, they pastor a church in, on the eastern shore of Maryland, and they've traveled around uh, the country putting these weekends on, and you may not know what, the, what it is. It's for uh, engaged or uh, seriously dating married couples, wherever you are, however great your marriage might be. It's an investment in your most important relationship if you're married. That's the most important human relationship you have is with your spouse. And it's an investment in that. And what, they've, what they uh, have found when they do these is that there is just a ton of laughter. And if you've wanted a chance just to get away, get the pressure off, I get it that it's tough. You've got to find, if you've got little kids, you've got to find a sitter, all that kind of stuff. But it's worth the investment in your marriage. So you can, you can log on to our website, find the link there, and um, sign up for that if you'd like. It's, it's going to be held at the uh, Portage Country Inn and Suites. If you'd like to spend the night there, you're welcome to do that. They've extended to us a special rate um, to do that. You make it a, a little getaway for you and, and your spouse. And uh, we'd love for you to join us. And then on the 28th, as we're hosting with the city, uh, the Trunk or Treat. Now, some of you may have said, well, I don't understand. I thought we did that. And what are we doing? And why are we doing that? Just wanted to make sure you understood. We, we're, as a church, we want to serve our city. We want to be known and seen as the servants of the city. People of Jesus have always been that way. They serve the city. They make it better for everybody, whether or not people agree with them or like them or believe like them. And so we want to serve the city. And so this is a simple way for us to serve the city. Now, we, um, we're just trying an experiment. We're going to go and help with that on the 28th. Bring your kids, bring your families. So there's going to be thousands of people there giving away candy. So we need lots of candy because we're going to help replenish people's uh, uh, um, booths as they uh, do the, the thing there. Uh, but we may host another one again here on our site, but we just wanted to try an experiment because what we saw happening was the number of people participating, uh, showing up to get free candy was going up like this, while the number of people who were saying, I'll host a car and pass out that candy was going like this. And we went, uh-oh, we are in for a bad deal. So we're trying an experiment. So experiment with us as part of one of, one of our values is that we, we try new things all the time. And, and uh, so that's kind of the deal with that. So there you go. There you have it. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. As we read a passage of scripture together, then I'm going to invite you to leave your Bible open or smartphone app or version app or, uh, and follow along as we pay attention to what it says for us. This is uh, from Jesus in Mark chap uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, that's to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And so Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied. 
swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to encourage you to open your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, in the back, up in the balcony. You can take one as a, our gift to you. I always want you to follow along because you never know if I'm telling you what it says unless you're reading it for yourself. So there you go, right? Follow along. Well, uh, today, as we're in this series on a bigger life, uh, this, is a, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. It's not exactly what we would take as a comforting passage from Jesus. Um, it's not exactly a, a, a passage that's inviting us to be really close and warm and fuzzy with God. Uh, it's a very challenging passage. Today, what this passage is, uh, is a warning. It's a warning about how we're either taking and ruining the next generation or how we're investing in the next generation and seeing them know and love God the way that we do. It's a warning. Now, uh, this, this book right here, the, the Bible, is the tool of a, of a preacher like, uh, like me. Um, now, you, you probably know how it is. You, in your work, you have tools. If you're an accountant, uh, you use uh, the tools of accounting. You use generally accepted accounting principles, GAP. And if you fail to use them, you get in trouble. If you don't respect the tool and how it's meant to be used, you get in trouble. Lose your job, get fired, get sued, all those kinds of things. Uh, if you're a steel worker, you have a tool, right? You have tools. You have the steel that you're trying to make, and you have certain amount of time it's got to be in the furnace and all the impurities have got to be taken out if you don't respect the tool you produce an inferior product that could potentially hurt or kill someone you have to respect the tool and so as a as a preacher since this the bible is the tool you have to respect what the tool says what we talked about a little bit about that last week and and what this passage says is a warning so okay all right if jesus gave us a warning then he gave us a warning for a reason and so we're gonna we're gonna stop we're gonna pause and we're gonna say okay what's the warning how can we avoid it and live in a different way? And the warning is just this, is don't ruin the next generation. Don't ruin the next generation. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, think about the next generation. I don't know if you give it any thought. If you've got young kids, you think about it all the time, and you're tired, and you're worn out. Uh, maybe you don't, you've, you're past that, and you think, well, I'm done. I don't have to worry about that generation. Uh, but many of us are in the, the mindset that we just kind of think, you know, the next generation, that'll just kind of take care of itself, and I don't really have to invest any of my time or energy. Uh, I don't have to help guide or plan. I mean, they'll, they'll just turn out okay, because it just kind of works that way. Uh, and I want to suggest to you that we all have an investment in the next generation. In fact, uh, George McDonald, George McDonald was a writer, and he influenced uh, very heavily C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, two very influential writers, and you've read some of their things, the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and other, other works. And this is what he said about uh, all of us being invested in the next generation. He said, when we're out of sympathy with the young, then I think our work in this world is over. So this is not a message for just parents or grandparents. It's for people with no kids. It's for people who are single, people who don't want to be around kids. Uh, <laughs> the whole gamut, right? Because we're all invested in the next generation. The next generation is going to be the leaders of, the, of their generation, whether we invest the right things in them or not. And the warning from Jesus is, don't ruin the next generation. Now, he gives the warning in verse 45. He's, he, he gives this, this kind of insight into how uh, a person is demonized or afflicted by a demon. And he says that what can happen with a person can happen with an entire generation. And he says, this is how it will be with this generation. And, and the, the example he gives 
is of a person who has an, uh, uh, an evil spirit or an impure spirit, a, a demon of some sort, and that demon is sent out, cast out, and that demon goes and wanders around looking for a place to go, and the thought occurs to that spirit, I'm going to go back and see what's happened with that person, and they go back to that person, and they see that nothing has been put in place. I mean, everything's been cleaned, and everything's been shined, but nothing, no one stronger than them has been put in charge of the house, and so that demon brings seven friends and says, look, we got a new home. And that person's condition is worse off than when they began. And Jesus says this can happen with an entire generation. So we have to show the next generation how to be in touch with someone stronger than them. We have to show them how to access the power of God. If we're not, we're setting them up to fail. If we don't show the next generation how to access God's power, we're setting them up to fail. So Jesus is, Jesus is warning us, don't, don't ruin the next generation. Now, he's saying this in, in Matthew 12. He's saying this to uh, the adults. In fact, he says to the adults, he says, uh, hey, and he's talking to religious people here, hey, you're a wicked and adulterous generation. That's like, oh, so comforting, Jesus. Thanks for that word. <laughs> well, what's he saying? What he's saying is, is that uh, how you think, a, a generation is kind of, he's, he's saying this is how people think. Like you think of the 60s or a child of the 80s or a child of the 90s. Uh, th- it's just, there's like characteristics about how they think. There's a generational way of thinking. And Jesus is saying uh, what happens with generations is that you pass on who you are, not what you say. Wouldn't it be amazing if you, as a parent, especially if you're a parent, if you could just say to your kids all the things you want them to do right, but you don't have to change how you live so they see something different, right? You just tell them all the right things they ought to do, but you don't have to be a different person. Wouldn't it be great if that's how it worked? Right? You can do whatever you wanted, but just as long as you tell them the right things, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? Because you, you know how it is. We pass on who we are, not what we say. Always. I'll give you an example. Uh, my, wife, uh, my wife routinely says to me, she says, on your tombstone, I'm going to engrave the words, where are my keys? <laughs> I, I have a spiritual gift of losing things. I'm really, really good at it. And so uh, on Friday, I picked up my oldest, Hudson. He's 11, and he ran cross-country this year for his junior high. And uh, I picked him up, and he had in his hand a certificate. And what they'd done is, is they'd given out, made up an award for every kid so that every kid got some kind of award. And I said, what'd you get? He's like, I got a, an award. And well, what'd you get? And I looked at it, and just knowing this keys thing, he, the, the award was, he got the Dude, Where's My Bag Award. <laughs> hmm. I wonder where he got that from, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter how many times I've said, don't forget your bag, son. What's he watching? He's watching me. He's watching how I behave. He's watching what I do, right? We always pass on who we are way more than what we say. And so what Jesus is saying is there can be a way of thinking that's wicked and adulterous. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, if, if you're wicked, you're under the control of basically what's not good basically what's evil. Uh, if you're adulterous, you're straying away from God. So there can be a, a generational way of thinking that you and I participate in that basically s- teaches the next generation that they're controlled by something else and that keeps them away from God. Now, and Jesus said, if you don't pay attention to how you're thinking about your life, this is exactly what you will, uh, you will pass on. Now, Jesus says this, you know, you wicked and adulterous generation, to this really interesting thing that the religious leaders say to him. They come to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, give us a sign. And in response to that, Jesus says, 
you wicked and adulterous generation. Only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And, and if you read that on his face, you kind of go, whoa, 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 Jesus, do you need a Snickers moment? I mean, it's like a Snickers moment. What? Calm down. What, what's, you're overreacting. What's wrong with them asking for a sign? I mean, come on, Jesus, just give them a sign. This is, if you've read the ministry of Jesus, you know, Jesus was always giving signs. He was always performing mighty acts and wonderful works and healing people. Well, here's what I think. I think that Jesus is the smartest man that ever lived. I think he has the best insight into the human condition. He has the best understanding of what God's like, and, uh, because he is God himself in, in human flesh, and that he's the smartest man who ever lived. And if I want insight into my life, that I could learn from Jesus better how to uh, live my life if I paid attention to what he actually said, because I think he's, the, again, smartest person who ever lived. So whenever I don't understand something on the face, I just assume that I don't understand. There's something I need to dig a little deeper to get. And here's what Jesus is basically saying. He's, he's saying that how you think, because he uses this phrase, a wicked and adulterous generation, has power over your life. I, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you believe this, but it's the truth. How you think shapes your life. Did you know that? How you're thinking about yourself, how you're thinking about other people, the, th- the things you allow your mind to dwell on, that is shaping your life. It's shaping your character. It's shaping your values. It's shaping your actions. Your life, whether you want to admit it or not, is shaped by the things that you think about and what you allow in your mind. In fact, the Proverbs say uh, that as a man thinks within himself, so is he. Henry Ford said it like this, that if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. Some of you struggle with insecurity and a lack of confidence, and I would argue, there are other issues at play here, I'm not trying to paint, paint with a broad brush, but I would argue that you're, that way you're unconfident and insecure because you think you are. Now that's really challenging. Wait a second, what? I'm not, no, 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 you don't know what I've been through. No, I'm saying that as you think within yourself, so are you. That's the kind of, per- what you think about shapes your life. In fact, Paul, in the, in the New Testament, he letter, wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome, and he said, listen, in chapter 12, he said, listen, if you want to be transformed, what you have to do is you have to renew your mind. You have to renew your thoughts. Then you'll be able to test and approve what's best for your life, what God's will is for your life. It all starts with how you think. In fact, I would, I would say that faith is a way of thinking about life that now understands that God's influence is the biggest thing in life. And so you think differently. See, I, I understand now differently, but I know I'm saved. I know that I'm born again. I know I'm filled with God's spirit. I know that the past is forgotten for me and that I have a new future. That changes my self-perception. That changes how I see myself in the world. And I, now I'm a different person because of that. So if you want to change you, change how you think. This is what Jesus is saying. Change how you think. So Jesus says, again, there's a way of thinking that can make you a controlled person who stays away from God, a generational way of thinking. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a religious version of this that Jesus addresses here when he talks about, give us a sign, and a non-religious version of this. Let me tell you one aspect of the, of the non-religious version of this, and it has to, re- has to do with how, as a culture, uh, generationally, how we all kind of collectively think about the truth. Uh, it's interesting, when Jesus was, uh, before, before Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman uh, senator, he was talking about what's true, and Pilate, do you know his famous question back to Jesus? What is truth, Jesus? Uh, this is our culture, this is the way we think about it. We're not sure that you can know what's true. Now, you can have what's true for you, and I can have what's true for me, but um, I shouldn't impose my 
uh, viewpoint on you, and you shouldn't impose your viewpoint on me. So if it works for me that I'm a Christian, and it works for you that you're a Buddhist, or for you that you're an agnostic, I mean, who am I to judge? I mean, that's just your perspective. It's your truth. Uh, I, I can't impose my truth on yours. This is just how collectively how we think now about the truth in our culture. Now, there's a positive to that because what it says is it recognizes that we all come from a perspective and we're all influenced. None of us come uh, with a complete objectivity to life. We all, we all have ways of thinking. It, that's, that's absolutely the truth. But the negative side of that is that it leaves people without anything secure. Nothing's nailed down. Everything's loose. Uh, it, it, nothing's true, period. It's just true for me. We're going to baptize people in a, in a few weeks. And uh, what they're doing when they baptize is they're saying, listen, my life was a mess. My life was a wreck. Uh, I was dirty. I was full of a mess. And then what I found is that God loved me and that he washes me clean. And so I'm going under the water washed clean and I'm coming up as a new person. And I've got a new life that God's giving to me. And that this is, this is the thing that's going to be true about me. And, and, and oftentimes people will say, and that works for me. But what we're saying when we baptize people is that it's not just, it doesn't just work for you. It's, it's true for everybody. Everybody's separated from God. Everybody's broken. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's full of dirt. Everybody needs to be cleaned up. That it's true, period. Not just true for me. That the gospels, we say as Christians, this is the thing where we are at odds with our culture, is because we believe the gospel is true for everybody. We don't believe it just works for us. It does work, but it's true for everybody. That's what, we, that's what we think about it. But this is how that, that, way, that generational way of thinking affects the next generation. Is it basically, it's like a, a ship pulls up. You know, if you've ever been at a big dock and you've seen a big ship, they throw down these mooring lines and they attach that ship to the, the dock in the harbor. And then they can unload all the supplies and load new things in. And if you don't attach that, then the ship can founder against the docks or float out to sea. And I would argue that the way, that way of thinking about truth and that generational way that everybody just accepts, that's how it is, right? That's just how it works. And it controls people's way of thinking of, of possibility. That basically what that does to the next generation is it sets them adrift at sea, right? Now, the religious version, though, that Jesus talks about right here, that when he says, give me a sign, he says there's a religious version, a religious way of thinking, a generational way of thinking that can ruin the next generation, Here's what, it, it, here's what it is. Um, when he says, give us a sign, then the Pharisees say to him, give us a sign. See, now the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. Jesus has been doing signs all the way up until this point. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching. Uh, massive crowds are coming to see him. They've watched all this. They've seen plenty of signs. They've heard all the teaching. They've heard how Jesus takes the scripture and, and pulls out the things that they should have known all their lives. And they're like, they're kind of mad about it. And they're jealous about the crowds that Jesus is getting. And so what they say to Jesus is, okay, well, uh, Jesus, all right, well, give me a sign and then I'll believe. This is, this is the attitude. I, it turned out as a rhyme as I was writing it. I didn't mean it as a rhyme. I don't mean to be cheesy. But here, it's, this is the way of thinking. This is what they're saying. This is, in effect, what they're saying when they say, give me a sign. This for these religious people. They're saying, I'll do what you say when you do it my way. I'll accept what you say is true about God when you do it in a way that conforms with the way I've been taught about religion. Now this is some of you, right? You're sitting here today because when you grew up, your parents, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, whoever it was, told you this is how you approach God. This is how you say your prayers. This is how you read the Bible. This is exactly how you do it. And you tried to do it differently, and they went, no, that's not right. That's not how you do it. You do it this way. If you're going to be in this house, you're going to do this. And you, what happened as soon as you became an adult? 
woo out the door. Then now what happened is life evangelized you. You, got, you ran into trouble and you went, well, maybe there was something underneath what I was taught that's actually true. I don't want that thing they gave me, but that thing underneath, maybe there's, there's God's there and he's not like what I was taught. And so you come back. But this is what Jesus is saying, is that there's a religious way of thinking, of going about things that's rigid and judgmental and harsh and, and puts all these burdens on people. And, and as soon as, see, if you're the next generation and you see that kind of faith and, and you, you see your parents and they're rigid and they're not pliable and they don't change their mind and they don't say they're sorry and they don't admit that they're wrong and they don't own up to their failures, you see all that, and when you get the chance, you see through all of the stuff that was just like this religious veneer, and you go, I don't want anything to do with that hypocritical mess. I'm out of here. Jesus is saying, if you have that, that generational way of thinking, you have that in you, listen, you're going to ruin the next generation, because this is how it affects them. See, they, they leave, people, the next generation, kids, students, they, they leave when they see a faith that doesn't really affect their parents. But it's all just religious stuff on the outside. They, they leave. They, they don't see their parents humbled. They don't see their parents pliable. And so at the first opportunity, they bolt. And they, they, what they've been seeing is they've seen adults who use God to get them to comply. And they go, I don't think that's real, and I don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus is saying this is a religious way of thinking, a generational way of thinking. And it's wicked and it's adulterous because what it does is it controls people and it pushes them away from God. And you and I can engage in that. We can ruin the next generation if we don't pay attention to how we think. Now, what in the world do we do with this? Jesus gives us two examples. He, he says, on the one hand, you could be a wicked and adulterous generation or you could have a different, you could di- different way you approach your faith that I want to suggest to you, that Jesus suggests to us. And he gives two examples, two historical ex- uh, examples from the Old Testament, Jonah and the queen of the south, or, or sh- the queen of Sheba. And, and here's what happens, verse 39, he says, when they ask for a sign, Jesus says, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What's that? Verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, you, you know what Jesus is saying. Where, where was Jesus for three nights and three days? Right in the grave, right? And what put Jesus in the grave? The cross, right? So, on the, so Jesus is saying the sign that this wicked and adulterous generation is going to get is a man hanging on a cross for the sins of the whole world. That's God's sign. You want God's sign? Don't look for like, God, when you do it my way, uh, I'll do what you say. No, no, no. There's a man who died on a cross. That's God's sign forever for you about how God thinks about you, what God wants for you. Here's how I, th- here's how I like to think about the cross. This helps me. Because maybe you go, well, what does that all mean? I like to, th- I like to understand, because Je- the Bible says that all of the sins of mankind were laid on Jesus on the cross. I like to think about it like a sponge. And so at, from all of human history, the past, the present, and the future, Jesus took on himself and absorbed all of the hurt and the brokenness and the evil and the, and the dark places of humanity, which means me and you, right? All that stuff that's in me and you. He absorbed all of that on himself. And, and paid the penalty for you and I, right? Died in our place as the, the, the self, the sacrificial lamb. And, and Jesus said that when the people heard the message of Jonah, they repented, which just, it's not, whatever you think that word means, it just means to change your mind. It's the Greek word for change your mind. And when they heard Jonah's message, they repented. And so when you see the sign that the cross, that, that God has died for your sins on the cross, you, 
It's a change of mind. Oh, wait, I no longer have to be defined by all the junk and the bad habits and the addictions. I no longer have to be defined by any of that. That doesn't have to be my future. My past does not have to be my future. I get a new, a new destiny in Christ, and I'm a different person. Then you see, that's a repentance. That's a change of thinking. Like, I don't have to be, I don't have to drag that stuff around with me for the rest of my life. I can have a different way of thinking that Jesus on the cross was crushed for me, and he was bruised for me. That's supposed to say, oh, I'm going to think differently about my life. Jesus is God's son. Now, here's what I know about repentant people. Repentant people are fun people. Do you know why? It's because they're open and they're honest and they're willing to admit they're wrong and there's a lightheartedness about them because they don't take themselves that seriously anymore. And so they like to be, they're fun people to be around because they're never always ha- they don't always have to be in the right. They're not always taking their expectations and putting them on other people and when they realize that they were, they go, oh, I didn't mean to do that to you and put that burden on you. I'm sorry. They're fun people. So that's the first example. So you could be, you could be wicked and adulterous and ruin the next generation, or you could be repentant and give hope to the next generation. And then Jesus gives the example of the queen of Sheba. This is from the, the King Solomon, and you read about it in 2 Samuel. And uh, this queen, this uh, very dignified woman, comes to Solomon, the wisest man on earth. She travels all the way to him, and Jesus says that when he, she heard Solomon's wisdom, she listened. In other words, she came with her experiences and her values and her insights. But when she heard the greater wisdom of Solomon, she said, that's better than what I got. And so she humbled herself. See, when you listen, you humble yourself. See, hum- I, here's what I know about humble people. Humble people are fun people. Do you know why? Because they're open and they're willing to change and they don't take themselves too seriously. And they're willing to say, I may not have gotten that right. And you know what, Dad, sorry I didn't do that right. Or, man, I'm sorry as your teacher I didn't do the best, but I want to do a great teacher for you. They, they don't take themselves that seriously. And so, here's, so Jesus gives us two options. He says, listen, you can ruin the next generation by being wicked and adulterous, having a, being a par- participating in a generational way of thinking, whether it's religious or non-religious, that puts controls on people and pushes them away from God. You can participate in that. And you'll ruin the next generation. You'll think you're giving them one good thing and helping them sweep the house clean, but what's going to happen is you're not going to help give them access to anything that would allow the power of God to come into their life. And so their, wor- their condition in the end will be worse than when you began with them. That's, Jesus, that's option A, right? Option B is you can be repentant and you can be humble and you can pass on a repentant, humble faith to the next generation. Now, I want to be a part of this group, right? And I want you to be a part of this group. But it takes you saying, I may have been a part of this group and not even realized it. And so I repent. I change my mind. I want to be that group. And that's what I want to pass on to my kids. And that's what I want to pass on to my grandkids. And that's what I want to pass on to the next generation. Because it's on you and me to pass this on to the next generation. So what are you going to do? Which one are you? You can switch teams at any point. And you can be on this side, repentant, humble. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? I'd invite you just in in the silence that we have right here to take uh, an inventory of your mind and your heart. The things that you think about. And allow God to search your mind and search your heart. 
if you discover that you've been participating in a way of thinking and living that's going to ruin the next generation, that you would change your mind, that you would repent. And in the quietness now, say to God, God, I'd, I want to be done with that. I'm going to need your help to be this different kind of person. So make me new on the inside so that I'm one of those fun, repentant, and humble people who passes on something life-changing, joy-giving to the next generation. So God, we give you all of our efforts. We give you all of the words, all the things we say, all the things we think. Uh, we put them at your disposal to be your people who do the things that you did in the world. We want to do it with a repentant heart. Always willing to rethink things. Always willing to admit our part in the mess. Never powering up on people. We want to be those kinds. Of, we want to be humble. We want to be those kinds of people. So make us like that. Thank you that you're, for those of us who have participated in wickedness and adulterous ways of thinking, that that no longer has to define us. That you're not overwhelmed by that, that you change people from that all the time, and you put them on a new path. And so we ask for that. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands. That's their way of saying, I'd like to receive that. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay, too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the love that God has for you that loved you when you were wicked and adulterous. Died for you when you were in that condition so that you would now know that you can walk into life loving God, loving people, serving the people he loves so much in his name. Hug someone, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need any prayer.